If you were intended to be a slave that would serve in the royal household, maybe attending to the queen or queens, the wives of the king, then they would castrate you quite early on. So you were no threat to those queens and you could serve them. It was slavery. It was dehumanizing in many ways. It was oppressive in many ways. That's some of the stories. Some people might choose it as a lifestyle, but it was a lifestyle that excluded you from an awful lot. And it seems that this guy was born into this, in this, into this slavery. So this is his story. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he invites Philip um, to come up with him. And the passage, um, the passage he's reading is from Isaiah 53. And then he says, so Philip explains everything to him. And then as they travel along the road, they come to some water. And the eunuch says, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Why shouldn't I be baptized today? What a lovely question. And you just have this beautiful idea of what a perfect model of evangelism. So somebody is on a journey and they're interested and they're reading some scripture and then Philip comes along and he goes, can I explain this to you? And he explains it to him and he goes, do you understand? And he goes, yeah, why should I be baptized now? And the guy goes, brilliant, of course, be baptized now. What a lovely story. But there's a lot more going on here. Because when he says, why shouldn't I be baptized now? What most readers of this story would have expected to happen there is Philip to go, ah, well, that's a bit awkward um, because actually you can't be because you're a eunuch and you're outside of this. But you see, Philip is a Jew and he's a law-following Jew. That's been his whole life. And the Bible's pretty clear about this. In Deuteronomy 23, it says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. This is the cleanest translation I could find for people. So there are a lot more graphic translations out there if you want to go looking for them. But this is about the most PG translation that I could find. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. If, therefore, if you are a eunuch, there is no place for you in this kingdom. And what's really interesting is this guy has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem on some sort of pilgrimage to go to the temple. But he won't have been allowed in. He won't have been allowed past the gates. Because the law says there is no place for you in this kingdom. He won't have been allowed in. He is excluded. He is on the outside. He's made all that journey and he won't have been allowed in. And now he's traveling home. Maybe he was able to buy a scroll of Isaiah around the edges of the temple or from the public place. That's all he's been able to get from his pilgrimage, perhaps, because he couldn't go into the temple. And now he's reading it on his way back to Ethiopia. And he's reading Isaiah 53, which says, 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Imagine reading those words as someone who's been born into slavery, who's been castrated, who will not have any descendants, who is in slavery. A nice role in slavery, a privileged role in slavery, but in slavery nevertheless. These words might feel quite relevant, don't you think? You might read this going, is this about me or is this about somebody else? Who's this guy talking about? Because this guy's telling my story. How many of us, when we read the Bible, have these moments where we're reading it and we go, this is telling my story. This feels entirely personal to me. And I suspect maybe the unit was having one of those moments with scripture. And he's going, who is the prophet talking about? Is it himself? Is it somebody else? Is he, is he talking about me? Or what's going on here? Can you explain it? And Philip, starting right there, explains how this, I imagine, explains how these, this verse is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And the powerful message of the gospel God saying, yeah, me too, I know your story. I've experienced your story. I understand your story. And I offer you a path of restoration and hope in the middle of your pain and your suffering and your loss. You can imagine it's quite an emotional encounter. But it says that starting there, he took him through the scriptures. And here's where I think it gets really interesting because three chapters later in Isaiah 56, it says this. There we go. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house. Can you imagine the impact of those words to an Ethiopian eunuch who has just traveled to the temple of God and not been let in. And then he sees these verses that says, I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give for the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all 
nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. These verses tell of a time, even though at this point the eunuchs are excluded. People, there are in and there are out. There are us and there are them. Isaiah talks of a time that is coming when others will be included. Those who are excluded will be lifted up, raised up, included, loved, welcome. You see, Philip could quite easily have gone, well, actually, the Bible's quite clear. You can't be baptized. You can't be part of this because your life doesn't fit because who you are doesn't fit within who God says you need to be. So you can't be part of this because you're a eunuch. The scripture's really clear on this. But Philip doesn't do that. Philip baptizes him. I imagine Philip and the Spirit had something of a conversation at this point where Philip's going, you can't do this, right? And the Spirit's going, baptize him, Philip. And Philip's going, yeah, 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 but... I mean, what about, the, what, about, what about Deuteronomy? What about Leviticus? That's what it's going. Philip. Baptize him, Philip. He's all right. We can include him. He can be part of this. I imagine this is profoundly disruptive for Philip. Because Philip has been following the scriptures all his life. And then he comes into this situation where he, what he's understood all his life seems pretty clear. And yet now, God's saying, ah, we're not doing that thing anymore. Now, we're including. Now this guy can be in. Because God sees the guy's heart not just his physical makeup. It's a beautiful moment of disruption. And the courage of Philip to respond to the Spirit obediently at this point is phenomenal. So much so that God rewards him with a bit of teleportation. Um, because they come out of the water and they're. And off they go. He whisks away and he ends up 30 miles down the coast. And I don't, it's not the only time there's teleportation in the Bible, but it's the most clear example. I'm not getting into that today because I haven't got time, unfortunately. But if you want to talk about that, do come and talk to me about it. But I, for me, this passage is about inclusivity. And that's profound inclusivity people who previously have been excluded are now included. It's so disruptive. And so I want to talk about inclusivity. And you know, some of you will be going, yeah, Adam, talk about inclusivity. Some of you are going, Adam, again, really? We talk about inclusivity again? Because you do, you do talk about inclusivity quite a lot, Adam. And I just don't know if, you know, I think there's other things in the Bible that we could look at as well. Um, I want to go into inclusivity in a little bit more detail because, you know, you, you always hear me talk about, oh, come on, everyone's in and let's include everyone. And I do want to talk about that. But I want to explain, maybe, what I mean when I talk about inclusivity because I don't think this is always... I don't think I always explain this in full. So, 
Here's a line. And on one end of that line, you've got one position or one group of people, and on the other end of the line, you've got another position or another group of people. I don't know what that line. That line can be all sorts of different things. It can be about. It can be about. Are you? Do you read the Bible? Are you conservative, or are you Labour? Are you Brexit, or are you Remain? Or are you? Um, are you conservative theologian? Are you a? Um, a liberal theologian, are you, are you, whatever the issue, whatever the issue might be, are you creationist or are you evolutionist, are you, like, and there's, wherever, whatever's on this line, and there's people on this end, and there's people on the other end. And you see, what we've, what we do, and I think sometimes when people hear me talk about inclusivity, I think this is probably what people think is happening. So, there's, well, this is where we are. This is our group of people. This is where we are on the line on this particular issue, on this particular theology, on this particular idea. This is traditionally where we've been as a church. You know, a good example might be that around same-sex relationships. We go, well, this is where we've been. We've kind of been to the, on, on this end, and we kind of go, you yeah, know, the Bible's really clear, and that's, that's not okay, and uh, it might be around women in leadership. And well, you know, there's lots of verses that say women shouldn't be in leadership, so we're over here. And then, and then maybe, you know, we start some teaching, you go, Adam, do you know what, it sounds like so maybe some of our teaching is moving the other way. And, and what you see happen in churches quite a lot is there are churches who go, oh, well, now we're pro-women in leadership, or we're pro-same-sex marriage, or we're pro-whatever. And we were, if you go back two or three years, we were against that. And now we've got on some new understanding, and now we're for it. And what's happened is we've shifted along the line. And we go, see, now look, we're more inclusive. Because now, we're, now we hold this new theology. We hold this new idea. We're more inclusive now. We're not. It's exactly the same size of inclusivity. All we've done is shift our inclusivity and therefore shift our exclusivity or our prejudice or our, what we exclude. Because if we go over here, we go, oh, well, now, you know, we're pro-women in leadership. And if you're not pro-women in leadership, well, then you need to be. If you, unless you don't believe this, then, sorry, you need to find somewhere else because now we're pro-women in leadership. All we're doing is excluding a different group of people. People who think what we used to think. That's not inclusivity, that's just changing our mind on something. Yeah, we live in a world that is profoundly polarized, increasingly polarized. And one of the things that you see is this language that bounces around, particularly around the same sex conversation. Language bounces around going, oh, you need to be inclusive. Everyone needs to be inclusive. If you're not inclusive, we can't include you. It isn't really inclusivity, is it? If we're, I mean, the irony in that surely is not lost on us. We're intolerant of people who are intolerant. What? That's not inclusivity, that's not tolerance at all. We're just imposing a new view now. That if you accept it, you're in. If you don't accept it, you're out. Or you're prejudiced, or you're bigoted in some way, or you're offensive in some way. It's not inclusivity at all. 
All we've done is traded in our exclusivity for a different exclusivity. We traded in our prejudice for a new prejudice. When we talk about inclusivity, this is what I think we talk about. You see, I know churches who, you know, held a position and then they've shifted to a new position. And they're very vocal about it. And that, that's their journey. But when I talk about inclusivity, what I think we're called to as a church is to create a space where it's okay to hold different opinions, where it's okay to hold different understandings. And we will work it out together. We will wrestle with it together. You might have heard me use a phrase such as extending the tent in both directions. I remember having a conversation with someone probably a couple of years ago now, and he said to me, oh, I'm a bit traditional, I'm a bit old-fashioned. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, I think they said to me. I, you know, I, I kind of hold quite old-fashioned views. So I'm a bit outdated. My voice isn't really important anymore. And my response to them was, I could not disagree more. Your voice is more important because it's important that we hear everybody's voice. And whilst you might think that you know, this journey of inclusivity is taking us in a particular direction. If that journey excludes you, then we've missed the point of inclusivity. If you feel like your voice doesn't matter anymore or is irrelevant now because it's outdated, because it's unpopular, because it's whatever, then we've got this wrong. Because we need to create a space where we can share space with each other where it's okay to disagree. And actually, in a world that is so polarized, whether it's Brexit versus Remain, whether it's Democrat versus Republican, whether it's Conservatives versus Labour, whether it's May versus Corbyn, or May versus Johnson, or Trump versus whoever he's tweeting about today, like, whoever, whatever it is, we live in this profoundly polarized world. And what social media does to us is it helps us, it teaches us, well, you can just surround yourself with people who agree with you. You can silence anyone who's got a different view, who's offensive to you in some way. And you just surround yourself with people who agree with you. Which is why when, when we voted Brexit, all the people who voted Remain were going, well, where are all these Brexit voters? Where's this 52%? I don't know any of them. Because we surround ourselves with people who agree with us, which convince us, which tell us that we're right. In a world that is so profoundly polarized, how exciting for the church to be able to model a community of diversity, where it's okay to disagree, where we share space, and the one thing we gather around is Jesus Christ. The one thing we gather around is Jesus Christ. And your experience, whilst it might be different to mine, is just as valid. In fact, you are a blessing to me because I can encounter a new aspect of God through you. 
that I could never experience myself on my own. When you hold a different theology to me, you're a blessing to me because you disrupt me, because you challenge me, because you expand me. How exciting to have a community where inclusivity celebrates diversity. And we don't all just agree on everything. I think there's an opportunity, what we're called to model as the church in our divided community is a space where diversity is celebrated, where the other is loved and included. Inclusivity is a challenge. It's not comfortable. It's profoundly uncomfortable. But it's what we're called to do. If we go back to 10 years ago, and we were working out what we were trying to be as church, one of the phrases that we used a lot was, everybody's in, and you will have heard me talk about this. There are people who have come to me at various points going, Adam, explain everybody's into me, because I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know whether, what, what do you mean by that? It's not some commentary on heaven. It's a commentary on this community. Everybody gets to be part of this. Everybody's included. One of the beautiful things that I liked about this passage was when it says about Philip starting right where he was reading. He then took him through the scriptures. You see, God always meets us right where we are. It happens time and time again in scripture. God meets people right in the middle of their situation. But you see, it doesn't stop there because God meets us right where we are and then he invites us to take steps forward. We are all on a journey of transformation. Banner over there, one of our dimensions, one of our values. Transformation, we are all on this journey of transformation and people get to join in this journey and be transformed with us. We're not going, well, we're sorted, now we'll cheer you on while you get to be like us because, do you know what? Sorry to upset you, that might not be a very attractive perspective for some people. They might look at us and go, I don't know, why would I want to be like you? Particularly if we're sat there going, well, we're sorted, we're right about everything. So now we're going to bless you with our rightness and welcome you in on this journey where you are entirely disrupted and we are not. We are all on a journey of transformation. Whether you've been here five minutes, you are welcome. And you're invited into a journey of transformation and healing and redemption and restoration and freedom and life. Or whether you've been here 50 years and God is meeting you right where you are and inviting you to take the next steps of transformation now. Don't stand still. You see, everybody's in, but nobody gets to stand still. That's what this community looks like for me. Nobody gets to stand still. We include everybody, but we're all on this journey of transformation towards Christ-likeness, towards discovering who we were created to be and stepping into that wholeness and that life. 
And the way we do that is by the other phrase that we used 10 years ago and have continued to use. We do that by relationship because we say belonging is in the small. I wonder if you could have the musicians up. The reason we say belonging is in the small is because, you know what, you can come here on a Sunday and it's easy to be anonymous. Being here on a Sunday is great. We love celebrating together. We love sharing space together. We love sharing life together. But belonging is in the small. Where are your relationships? Who are the people that are going to miss you when you're not here on a Sunday? Who are the people that are going to be there when you're in a crisis? Who are the people you're sharing life with? Who are the people that are going to challenge you when you're stood still? Who are those people? The people who are going to say the uncomfortable thing. The people who are going to challenge you about whatever it is in your life where you've stagnated, where you've stopped growing, where you've stopped moving towards Christ-likeness. Who are those people? And who are those people that are giving you permission to speak into their lives when they've stood still? Or even moving away from Christ-likeness? Our belonging is in the small, in those relationships. So if you're not in a small group, I'd love you to be in a small group where that can happen. If you're in a small group and that's not happening, then have a conversation with your small group about why that's not happening. Maybe get in a prayer triplet with people. Who are those people that you're in relationship with that are going to include you, that are going to love you, that are going to accept you as you are, but who are also going to inspire you and challenge you and urge you towards Christ-likeness. Because that, for me, is what inclusivity looks like. That's the community we're trying to build. That's who we're called to be as a church in this world that is so polarized. Let's be a community that includes everyone that celebrates diversity, that experiences God in the other, that sees people who are different to us as a blessing, not a threat. And let's be people who share life with each other, who spur each other on towards Christ-likeness, who take those steps of transformation with us. This is who we're called to be as a church. So let's stand together. Let's stand now. And let's commit to that. Lord, as we worship you, as we sing to you, as we share this space together, as we celebrate you, Lord, we want to commit. We want to commit to include the other, to love each other, to celebrate diversity, to engage with the disruption that the other causes us. And Lord, we choose and we commit to take those steps towards Christ-likeness, to take those steps towards being the people you've created us to be and you've called us to be. 
and we commit to do that together. Lives of vulnerability, relationships of accountability. And Lord, for those of us who don't know where those relationships are, give us the courage to find them. Give us the courage to ask for them. Lord, we want to be like you. In a world that's so divided, we want to reveal to the world your beautiful inclusivity, your beautiful love for everybody. So Lord, we commit to that now as a church. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.